Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. I'd like to ask you to stand as we turn together and look at God's Word this morning. We're going to read Matthew eleven twenty through 27. Then he, that is Jesus, began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. And which are you, wise and intelligent or infant? Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its glory. And I pray, Father, that as we, as we take this moment out of this day and out of this week to pay close attention to what your son did and said. You'll teach us through him and that the words I speak may not be words alone, but may come with power through the Holy Spirit and that they may bring conviction. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to turn to the uh, final verses of this chapter, either next week or the week after. There's some some question about when we're going to do it because of events that have disrupted a little bit of our lives as pastor I had planned on being gone next Sunday and uh, it may be that I'm going to be here I'm probably going to be here so Nathan may preach on uh, Matthew 12 the first portion of Matthew 12 next week and we may return to the final portion because I want to do this and I don't want Nate doing it of chapter 11 uh, in two weeks or we may go in, in consecutive order it doesn't really matter I want to speak to you from this, this portion of the, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, the good news of Matthew, gospel is good news. I want to speak to you, and I want to speak in particular to those of you who are mothers and fathers, and those of you who are, who are considering it and wanting it someday, and all the rest, because what I say has relevance for us all, but I think it's particularly important uh, for mothers and fathers, this may be, in fact, the most consequential portion of Scripture in the New Testament for Christian parents. Certainly in the New Testament, I would say, although you would probably adduce other portions of Scripture for our consideration, I would argue for this one. And it may be the most important in the Bible. Now, why is that? What is the significance of this, of this passage for Christian parents? Well, it's the significance of this is for all Christians, but it's of paramount importance for Christians. There were three cities 
in the northwest of the Sea of Galilee. One of them was Capernaum. The second was Chorazin. The third was Bethsaida. They're called the, sometimes they're called the evangelical cities. And it doesn't mean that they were anything to do with American evangelicalism. It's because Jesus preached there more than anywhere else. In fact, we're told here that, um, that most of his miracles had occurred in these cities. If the miracles had occurred there, it occurred in you, they would have repented. It was uh, a triangle of cities with Chorazin to the north and to the west a little bit from Capernaum and, and Bethsaida to the east that was the site of many of the greatest things that Jesus did. Capernaum, we're told, he moved to, to Capernaum at some point in his life at the beginning of his ministry and he settled there and he preached in the synagogue of, of Capernaum. Chorazin, you go three miles, two and a half miles from Capernaum to the north, northwest into the hills, and you bypass the, the likely location of the Sermon on the Mount, and you come to this city that was in the hills called Chorazin. And so Chorazin was just cheek by jowl, right next door to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did many miracles in Chorazin, and it's the closest city to the Sermon on the Mount. Bethsaida is a city that is, is a little up the coast. It's also coastal Sea of Galilee, like Capernaum. And, and Bethsaida was a famous place for Jesus to visit. He went there uh, with his disciples. It's where the, where the feeding of the 5,000 took place, was in Bethsaida. These were cities that were the the stomping grounds of Jesus Christ and his disciples. These were cities that were blessed by the great miracles of Jesus Christ. These were cities that had the powerful teaching of Jesus Christ. These were blessed cities. These were cities where Jesus made his home, where he called his disciples from, where he lived and preached in the synagogue. And yet they are cities that are damned. Because the last words of Christ for them is, it's going to be better for Sodom than it is for you three cities. The cities are damned, and they're damned for one reason. Jesus has come preaching the gospel, the good news. The last chapter we remember that he had John the Baptist told, hey, guy, if you're worrying about whether I'm the promised one, make sure you realize that the gospel, the good news, is being preached to the poor. John's disciples were sent back to tell John the Baptist that the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus came preaching the good news as John before him, and that good news in both instances and when the disciples are sent out Jesus sent them with the good news, and in each of these instances and continuing through the New Testament, the day of Pentecost, the sermon on the next day after Pentecost by Peter as well, Paul at Mars Hill, it is a message of the gospel, and every time the gospel is preached, the message is repent. Repent. Paul says to the people of, of the Areopagus of, of Athens, in his sermon on Mars Hill. Now God has overlooked the days of ignorance, but now through his Son he has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Jesus had just 
been risen to the heavens and the Holy Spirit had just come down and Peter goes out and the people here, the disciples and the followers of Jesus, each of them speaking in the language of them, the Parthians and the Medes and the people from Asia, everywhere, Miletus, they're hearing these languages and they go, what is this? It can't be drunkenness because it's really a language but it sure looks like drunkenness. Peter goes and speaks to them about how God had promised this day through Joel and then tells them that now, the people are cut to the quick. He says, you've, you've killed the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have killed God's anointed. And the people are cut to the quick, and they say, what should we do? And Peter says, the good news, repent. Now, this is why I want to do the remainder of this chapter, because I want to speak about why repentance is good news, and the powerful glory of repentance, of the gospel, because the gospel is repentance. The gospel is repentance. The gospel is not the dozen other things. It's not the good deeds. It's not the, the baptism. It's not the, the people want to make the gospel. The gospel is repent. Just simply repent. But how is this a passage for, for parents? Well, the, the answer is these people of these cities have Jesus in their midst. They have children, they have jobs, they have callings in life, they have, they have their synagogue that they go to, they have the teaching that they attend with Jesus on the hillside. But when Jesus comes into their midst and says, I have good news, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, they don't accept the good news. And how do they reject the good news? Well, they, Jesus says it quite clearly. He says, you, you cities, if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, those are cities up the coast, Gentile communities. Ironically, people from Tyre and Sidon came down to these cities and worshipped Jesus. Jesus says, the Syrophoenician woman was one of those. She came from Tyre and Sidon down to these cities and met Jesus. And Jesus says, if the miracles that had occurred in you had occurred in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. They would have taken off their fancy duds and put on burlap. They'd have thrown ashes on their head and they'd have said, God, forgive us. But Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, you would have none of it. You well-churched people. You people that have grown up around the things of God. You people that have the Savior in your midst. You won't repent. You didn't repent. Couldn't be us, could it? Certainly, the place where Jesus was would repent. Certainly, a place where Jesus had preached the glorious Sermon on the Mount with all those convicting words, they would repent, right? Certainly, if Jesus were here, we would repent, right? But as is so often the case in Scripture, when the people of the city refuse to repent, the city itself is damned. Now, does that mean every child in these cities was lost? I don't think so. This is synecdoche. It's like referring to the various parts by the whole. When we say the White House decided, it's synecdoche. It's not the White House that decides. 
it is the president who resides there and the people that live there and make the decisions there. They're the ones when we say the White House. So when Jesus says these cities are damned, that it will be harder for them in the judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah, we have to understand that it's probably not every person in those cities. After all, we think some of his disciples may have come from one of these cities. And yet, when Sodom was burned to the ground by God because of its sin, there is no question that children died. And when Israel was sent into captivity, there is no question that children died. And the Bible is clear in saying that the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and fourth generation on the children. And it is a spiritual truth of the highest order. The parents who do not repent raise children who do not repent. And this is why this passage is so vital for you as parents. Because as you do, so will your children. Because as you respond to the word of God and the call to repent, the gospel, the good news, which is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, so your children will respond to the gospel. And so the question that faces us this morning is, are we people who are willing to repent? And what we must say is that the people of Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin were not willing to repent. And their children, no doubt, followed in the path of their parents. By and large, this doom that Jesus speaks of for the cities is inherited by the children. This church is, in some ways, the spiritual descendant of a, of a church in Toledo that was brought to prominence, made into a well-known Toledo church, even today, by a pastor who had been initially a Lutheran pastor in, in the western part of Ohio in a small town. He was a pastor in a small town in a, in a Lutheran church, and by his own admission, he didn't know God. He liked to preach. He enjoyed the work. He was proud of his ability as a preacher. But one day, a friend of his who really knew the Lord and who had come to repentance said to him as he was relating his sermon of the day before, he said to him, you know, I'm not sure you've ever really come to know Jesus. And the young man was startled that this older man would say it to him. He wasn't a member of his church. It was a member of another church. He was startled. He went home, and he became convinced that he really didn't know Jesus. And he repented, and he started preaching repentance, and the church grew. Grew and grew. And what happens, so often happened there, a big city church in that area, Defiance, Lutheran Church, heard about this small church growing out in the country, and they said, we've got to have that young man as our pastor. We need to be growing like that. And so they brought him in, and he came, and he began preaching the same message, which they accepted because it brought growth. But then one of the prominent families in the church had a son who was 21, I believe, who came down with a devastating illness, and he was on the brink of death. And they called the pastor in, and the pastor came in and had the temerity, the the 
the bodacious, egregious gall to ask this 21-year-old child if he had repented of his sin. The young man died. The parents were scandalized that the, the, the pastor would ask their baptized son if he had repented. And it began a many-month-long effort by that church, by the significant people of that church, to have the pastor kicked out, and he was eventually. And he came here to Toledo and founded, well, didn't found, but built up a church here in Toledo that's still with us to this day. And out of that church, we have the, the, the granddaughter of that man as a member of our church. That is, in my experience, the way that most of us respond to the challenge to repent. We say, me? You really think I'm a sinner? And then we say, but what about you? Aren't you a sinner too? What gives you the right to come to me and tell me to repent? You understand it is the job of those who preach the gospel to call you to repent. That is preaching the gospel, to say repent. You go through the book of Acts and you see Paul preaching repentance everywhere he goes. He preached repentance to those who are new Christians and those who are old Christians. He preached repentance. Jesus comes to these cities that are cities that are very religious cities. He goes to religious people like the, the Pharisees who are very religious people. And he says, repent. And it's the gospel. It's the good news. The good news is you can repent. Jesus is here. Jesus is calling you to repent. But people say, who are you? Jesus told a parable that illustrates the way we respond to the, the challenge to repent. It was a parable of a rich man and a poor man. The poor man's name was Lazarus. He lived at the gate of the rich man. And it says the rich man's dogs licked the sores that were on Lazarus's leg. And he'd beg at the corner at the gate of the rich man's house. This poor man, we're told, died and went to heaven. And was at Abraham's bosom. That's how the Bible refers to this place of paradise where the, the poor man went. It says that the rich man also died and went down to Hades. And there in Hades, he looks up and he sees in the paradise, he sees the poor man who had been at his gate, Lazarus. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, send Lazarus down, put a drop of water on his hand so that he'll come and relieve my pain, because I'm in great pain, man. Well, you see the attitude of the, the rich man to the poor man. He still expects this poor man to be his servant. He had looked down on this poor man while he was alive. He looks down on him in death. Send him. Make him. He doesn't call Abraham to come down. No, no. Abraham is too august. He's, he's a great man. Send Lazarus. Let him come down here and help me. And... Abraham says, no, you know, you received your good things on earth. Lazarus received his bad things. In other words, you didn't repent of your callous disregard for that man on earth. 
you lived in your wealth and you didn't look at the poor and think they were any burden of yours. And so now he's receiving his reward up here and you've been sent to Hades because that's what you deserve. So the rich man responds back to Abraham and says to Abraham, well, Abraham, if this is the way it is, then again, he's, he's still commanding Lazarus. He says, send Lazarus to my brothers so that they don't end up here. Abraham says to this rich man who is in Hades in hell, he says, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Old Testament that define our sin and our obligation to love people. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to a man coming back from the dead. And you go, oh, no, no, they'd listen. Would they? These cities had Jesus Christ, the Son of God, incarnate in the flesh, in their midst, day after day, raising the dead, feeding 5,000, and they did not listen. They did not repent. I've come to a conclusion after 30-some years of pastoral ministry. And that conclusion is that those who want to see their children follow God listen to those who are told, commanded to preach repentance to them. I can chart the path of a family by how willing the parents are to listen to someone say to them, you're doing wrong. Unfortunately, it's almost foolproof. If you don't like someone coming to you and saying to you, you should change, this is wrong, your children are going to be exactly the same. Exactly. And by your lack of repentance and my lack of repentance, we will have damned our children. Because we would not listen in the day of God's visiting us. I had a man in my first church. I was a young guy. I was, in his eyes, a punk, an educated punk. And he had worked at AP Auto Parts and had been on the strike. He was a great union guy. And then when his life went bad because of the, the lockout that commenced and began and became just a total shutdown of the plant, he, he went to, into poverty. Very bright guy. It was very hard between him and his wife. He was a proud man. All the more proud because he knew he was more significant than many of his bosses and had a brighter mind and he hated those who were over him who weren't as smart as he was. And that, unfortunately, initially at least included me as his pastor. And I'd be called over to his home by his wife and I'd go there and I'd meet with the, with the man and the woman. He would sit in his easy chair they had a 600-square-foot house with three bedrooms, a bathroom, a kitchen, and a living room. It shows you. He would sit in his easy chair against the wall here. She would be sitting in her kitchen chair that was exactly here on the other side of this wall, and it was about this far to the doorway and in. They'd sit there, not exactly back-to-back, -back, but basically back-to-back, -back, and anger seethed from both of them. And I'd go, I could stand in the middle and just look at both of them in the doorway. 
And I'd go there, and I'd talk to her, and she'd tell me what he had done. And I'd say to him, hey, brother, you can't do this. This is wrong. And if he got to the point, which he, he would at some point, where his wife was far enough away they could speak quietly, he'd say to me, you think I'm going to repent because you tell me to? I know I'm wrong, but I'm not going to repent just because you tell me to. <laughs> A proud man. What is your reaction when the church comes to you and says, you need to change? What have your children learned from your reaction to the message of the gospel? Remember, this is the gospel. The gospel, the good news, is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I talk often about my father and the good things he did. I think there was one thing my father did that was dead wrong. And I think it's born evil spiritual fruit in his family. When we moved to Chicago in the mid-1960s, we settled on a church that was a good church. But it had a rule for membership that if you were going to be a member, you had to promise never to drink alcohol. My father believed in following the Bible and didn't like adding to it. And he said, that rule would forbid Jesus from being a member here. I will not join a church that requires this of me. He stayed in that church. He taught Sunday school, an adult Sunday school class, a big adult Sunday school class for many years. He was associated with that church until his death. But he didn't join it, and neither did we, because it was wrong. And, of course, it was wrong on that. But my dad was even more wrong. Because those who call us to repent are fallible men. Look, you can consider those who call you to repent who are in leadership here about as highly as Balaam did his donkey. Just so long as you listen, like Balaam did. And my father didn't join the church. Eventually, they changed the policy. He joined the church and became an elder in it in the last six, seven years of his life. But at his funeral, the pastor of that church gave the eulogy or the sermon, and he talked about my dad. And he said, Joe Bailey was a man of the church. And I remember there, I was, I was out of seminary. I'd been a pastor for a year in a church in California. And I said to myself, oh, no, my dad was much bigger than the church. That was the attitude dad unknowingly inculcated in his children. And it took becoming a pastor and going to a little church for both my brother and me to understand the church is bigger than any man. And my dad, in that act of rebellion, said, I'm not accountable. I'm not going to be held to account and caused his children to have that attitude as well. 
And that attitude lives on probably in, in many forms in my brothers in my life today. It certainly lives on in my sister who thinks she can judge the church and judge things because my dad did and who says that lesbianism is fine and abortion is a gift from God to the poor and claims to be a Christian and to be following God. <laughs> that is a heritage of my dad. And I praise God that he brought me through that into a greater humility. Now, my dad was humble. I'm not, this was the only thing I'd point to, but it was a very big thing. Remember all those who Jesus preached to went to church. All of them knew the word of God. All of them would run to hear the latest revival sermon, which is what Jesus was doing in the countryside. They did not repent. It's not that God's word failed. The Bible tells us God had hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent. And it revealed these things to infants. Concealed them from the wise and the intelligent, revealed them to infants. What's the difference between the wise and the intelligent and the infant? The wise and the intelligent are proud. Where the infant just says, okay. Which are we? The wise and the intelligent or the infants that Jesus said, let the little children come to me. For to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. None of us is above the call to repent. None of us is safe when we say to those who are appointed to preach repentance to us, I'm not going to listen. I'm wiser than you. I'm better than you. You may well be. Just as my dad was wiser than his church, but he needed to listen. And he didn't. Next week, I want to speak about the glory of repentance and how good God is to give us this path to heaven. What a glory there is in the gospel. What a glory there is in repentance. This week, I call you parents. Soften your hearts. Turn to God. Say to God, I don't want to be wise and intelligent anymore. I will listen when I am challenged. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful body that you have allowed me the privilege of being the pastor of, Father. So many who are willing to listen, so many who do repent, but Father, we all need to hear this word. And I begin with myself. Forgive my sins, soften my heart. Teach me, Father, that the wise and the intelligent don't inherit the kingdom of heaven, but infants do. Give us the attitude of infants, Father, and allow us to repent, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.